So we're going to talk about faith in the wilderness this morning, and we kind of got an overview of what's been going on since, uh, since the, the exodus, the deliverance at the Red Sea, and where we're at now in the wilderness with numbers. So last week, uh, Matt Harbour, or Third Matthew, if you will, uh, spoke to us about the Red Sea and how God uh, freaks us out, um, but he's working in that, and I guess that makes me second Matthew. Uh, but we're going to uh, yeah, pick it up there in the wilderness. Actually, it's kind of interesting if you, in the book of Numbers, the, the Hebrew title of the book of Numbers is literally in the wilderness. So, simple, but that, that really illustrates what's going on there. What's going on in that in that space between God accomplishing deliverance from Pharaoh to the promised land, what's going on in that space between? So we're going to look mostly at uh, Numbers 13 and 14 today. Uh, just before this, um, we've, we've kind of, we've gotten into kind of the heart of Numbers where the people start getting dissatisfied, and they start grumbling against the Lord. So just before this, you have the scene where they, they start remembering the food they ate in Egypt. Oh, we had, those, we had those cucumbers, those leeks, those onions. I mean, most of those don't even sound good. Uh, but they're remembering those things. Now all we have is this manna, which actually does sound good. Uh, and they're, they're complaining. And so you, you kind of get the heart of where we're at in Numbers. And then right after that, you have uh, Aaron and Miriam complaining about Moses, like, oh, who's this Mr. Big Shot? Why does he get all this authority? You know, hasn't the Lord spoken to all of us? And, and God brings uh, discipline upon Miriam, causes her to be leprous for a few days. So you've got kind of the beginnings of this discontent here. And then we get to Numbers 13 and the plan to check out the land that they're going to, going to enter. Hey, let's check it out. Let's, let's figure out not... Let's check out if we can get the land, but how are we going to get the land? Should we go this way? Should we go that way? What are the cities like? What are the people like? What's the land like? Let's go do a little military reconnaissance. So we're ready. So picking that up, uh, one man was, was selected from each tribe to check out the land. They went in. They checked it over. They checked it out. They, they picked out some fruit from the land. Uh, there's the, the cool picture of the two, the two spies coming back with the, the cluster of grapes, and they're carrying it on a pole between them. So if you can imagine the type of grapes that needed two people to carry them on a pole between them. And I, and I found out, I guess, that for the, uh, some of you probably knew this, but the tour of uh, uh, tourism, the Ministry of Tourism, that's it, for Israel, that there's a picture of two people with a cluster of grapes um, currently. So, kind of cool. They still consider it a, a land blessed by God. So, picking it up at Numbers 13.25. So, just after they had come back, they had the cluster of grapes. Um, they, they said, hey, check out the fruit from this land. So, 13.25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land on which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. 
The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and among the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, This land through which we have gone to, through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And the people that we saw in it are of great height, and we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. So like we're like these little bugs that they're going to crush or they're going to devour. And the Nephilim were the, the ones who were spoken of in Genesis 6 as giants and great heroes. So they're saying, and, and Anak, I guess, comes from the, the word neck. So it's like they're long neck. They were tall people. So there's these giants. There's these great warriors there. 14.1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt! Or would that we had died in this wilderness! Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. I love that. He just turned it on his head. It's like, we're going to be bugs that they're just going to devour. And he says, no, they're going to be bread for us. We're going to devour them. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Now, when I read this, I'm thinking, Moses is probably like, about time. Yeah, get rid of them. Make a nation through me. I mean, like, wouldn't you be thinking that at this point if you're Moses? And of course, this had come up before, too, where God was like, I'll wipe them out. I'll make you into a great nation. Their promises, you can have them. And it's so interesting that God does this because he did this like in Exodus 33 and, and Moses intercedes for the people there and it's like God's just inviting Moses to intercede. It's not, he, he, he's, he's drawing this out of Moses and I love Moses' response here. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it for you brought up this people in your might from among them and they will tell the inhabitants of this land, they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them, in a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, 
It is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please let the power of the Lord be great as you promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. I love that. He's like, Moses doesn't care about his own name. He cares about God's fame. He cares about God's glory. Don't wipe all those people out because what are the nations going to say about you? They're going to think you can't deliver this people. I love that. If we could become people who pray for God's glory above all things, it would radically transform our prayers. Do this because what will people think of you? We want people to see you as you really are. We don't want people to get a wrong picture of you. Act for your name. Act for your fame, Lord. We don't deserve it. But because of your fame, be gracious. Pardon us. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went. And his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. And I love that. Caleb had a different spirit. And my youngest son is Caleb because of this passage. And it's encouraging to read that. And may God make us people of a different spirit than the other ten spies as we, as we look at this together. Let's pray as we get into it here. Father God, we just ask that we would be like Caleb, that we would be people of a different spirit. We pray that we would go through the wilderness of this life with faith, God, and that you would, your fame would be increased by us being a people of faith, in Jesus' name. All right, so kind of stepping back here, I want to look at what was the problem in the wilderness. What caused, obviously, the... The book of Numbers, this story, the stories before it, the stories after it, they're not, they're not enjoyable stories. They're, they're frustrating. So, so what was the problem? What was the problem? And I think, I think one part of the problem is that there was a lack of understanding of why God delivered them. There's a lack of understanding of why God delivered them. You see that when they start to grumble just before this, when they start to grumble about the food they're eating, and they start to remember the food that they loved back in Egypt. And, and it's like they have this picture that God delivered them so that they could just continue as they were, but now they have God's help in getting them what they want. And it's like if we think being, being a Christian just means I'm going to keep going after all the things I was going after before. I'm going to keep going after the things that the world goes after, but now I have God's help doing it. That's not why God delivers us. And that's why, that's why we don't entertain the prosperity gospel here. Because I feel like that's what, that's what it is. It's saying we get to pursue all the same things, 
and God helps us. No, God delivers us so that we can have him. So that we can have God as our God. So that we can be in a relationship with him. And so that we can say, no matter what we're going through, God's with us and God is enough. So they, had a, they, had, they failed to understand why God delivered them. God didn't make them a people just so they could go after the same things the nations go after, but with his help. He made them a people so that they could have him. I will be your God, you will be my people. Second, they looked at, the second problem in the wilderness is they looked at the situation as if God wasn't involved. They just assessed it, okay, they're big, we're not quite that big, and, and God didn't come into it at all. And, and this, this happened over and over in, in Exodus 17, when they start grumbling against Moses, they say, why did you, speaking to Moses, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Why did you bring us up? And Moses is like, oh yeah, that was me. I did the ten plagues on Egypt. The firstborn sons being killed, that was me. The, the Red Sea, yeah. What? I brought you up out of Egypt? Talk to the Lord about your issues. They looked at it as if God wasn't involved. Oh, it was Moses. I mean, do we do this? Do we get in situations where we're like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this? And, you, and you're thinking and you're completely leaving God out of the equation? Another part of the problem is that unbelief, when, when you give in to unbelief and you just look at things without God in the picture, you become irrational. You become irrational. I mean, what did they say? Let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Egypt? Do you, do you remember Egypt? You were completely mistreated as slaves. They, they were requiring slave labor, causing you to do work that you couldn't do. I mean, it wasn't an enjoyable time in Egypt. But okay, sure, there were some onions and some cucumbers. I mean, they became, they became completely irrational. I was reminded of um, a story, Russell Moore, uh, who's an author and I think he works with the seminary. And, uh, he has a book called Adopted for Life. And he's talking about when he adopts his two sons from Russia. And, he, and he, ex he describes when he first met his two sons in an orphanage. And he says they were lying there in excrement, in vomit, covered in heat blisters and flies. That's where, how he first saw them. And then when he, when he brought them out of the orphanage, when he was adopti adopting them, taking them home, he says they were, they'd never seen the sun before. They were shaking and reaching back for the orphanage. And of course, you can, you can excuse the two little boys. They didn't know any better. But, but that's what happens with us when we, when we leave God out of the equation and we say, I want to go back to that. I want to go back to before he delivered me. It's like you're wanting to go back to that orphanage where you're lying in filth without the sun, without someone loving you. That's how, that's how irrational we can be. Back to Egypt. And, and they said more things that indicate that they were being irrational. They're saying the land devours its inhabitants, but then they're talking about how great the inhabitants are. It's like, well, which one is it? Like, 
If the land's so terrible against its inhabitants, why are you scared of the inhabitants? So they just became irrational. They, they forgot the Lord. Moses recounts this episode in Deuteronomy 1. He said, the Lord, he goes before you. He will himself fight for you. The Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. He carried you out of Egypt, and despite all this, you wouldn't go in and take the land. So that's some of the, the problem of what was going on in the wilderness. They, they had forgotten or didn't understand why God delivered them. They, they excluded God from their calculations of what was going to happen, and they became irrational. So what was the result of their unbelief? I mean, they were, they were right there. They were at the, where they were in camp. It was like right there. Like they just had to march into the promised land. But instead, and it says in four, starting in 14.28, the Lord says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. Because they had said, well, would that we had died in the wilderness. And God's like, okay. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. So, they're right there on, on the brink of the promised land, and instead, they are told to turn back towards the way of the Red Sea. In fact, it's like he's saying, okay, you want to go back to Egypt? You're going to march that way. And they just, instead of going right in, they just go, uh, and then they end up, you know, going all over the place for 40 years when they were right on the brink of it. It's, when you look at a map, it's frustrating. <laughs> like, what a terrible way to take. And then they further the problem. Of course, God pronounces the consequences of their unbelief, but then they further the problem by trying to fix it on their own. And 1439 through 45, they hear this and they're like, oh, we don't want that. We're going to go take the land now, Lord. And then they go fight. And that's not any better. They, they get defeated because God says, I'm not with you. And I just think that, that that can happen to us. Like, okay, let's say we blow it. And then if we blow, if we blow it by not having faith in the Lord, don't try to fix it by not having faith in the Lord. Okay, don't, you know, you can, get, you can get into a situation where you mess up and then you, you get in, you start lying about what you did and, and it keeps going on and on and it just gets worse and worse. I mean, there's all kinds of things you could do. I mean, you could say like uh, a marriage and you get into an undesirable marriage and you think, oh, I, I didn't get into that marriage in faith, so now I'm going to fix it by getting divorced, you know. And don't, if, if you mess up in unbelief, don't try to fix it in unbelief. But let God walk you through it, even though there might be consequences of your mistake. Just repent and let God walk you through it at that point. Don't try to fix it without God if you got into it without God. And even if you have done that, even if you have got into a mess in unbelief, tried to fix it in unbelief and messed up even more, God's still gracious. Turn to him now. 
And you see in the rest of the book of Numbers, God's continually gracious to them, and it showed in the video. He, he continues to provide for them. He continues to defeat their enemies. He, he tells Moses to make the serpent, to put it on a staff so that everyone who looks at it can be healed of the poison of the venomous serpents that are around them. And of course we know that that's a picture of Jesus, that Jesus hung on the cross like that serpent so that anyone who looks to him can be healed of the poison of sin. So look to him. If you've messed up, no matter how much you've messed up, look to him, be healed of the poison of sin, and let him walk you through it wherever you're at, despite the consequences. Don't try to fix it in unbelief and then come to God. So, this, this is all. The idea is, we don't want to be like those ten spies, right? We don't want to be like the ten. We want to be like the two. We want to be like Caleb. We want to be like Joshua. So how, how do we strengthen our faith in the wilderness? What should they have done to strengthen their faith in the wilderness? Well, I think you can look back. One way to strengthen your faith is looking back, right? What has God done? And they had a lot just like within the last year of what God had done. Okay, we've got the ten plagues on Egypt, the deliverance at the Red Sea, the manna in the wilderness, water from the rock, God showing up at Mount Sinai with thunder and lightning and, and the smoke, and, and God dwelling among us with, with a smoke, with, a, with cloud and fire by night leading us along the way. I mean, even probably while they're having this argument, like, there, there was right there, there's the pillar of, of cloud's presence. And Moses' face would shine when he went into the tent of meeting with the Lord. And God's glory covered the, the tabernacle when they built it. I mean, how many things do they need to, to realize that God's present and he's powerful? Just remind yourself. Remind yourself of what he's done. And, and they even had that song that they, that they wrote in Exodus 15 that Matt Harbour mentioned last week, that they sang after the deliverance of the Red Sea, where it says, I will sing to the Lord, for he's triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord's my strength, he's become my salvation. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand shatters the enemy. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, working wonders. I mean, maybe in the wilderness they should have been singing that song every day. Look back to the, to the mighty acts God has done. Embrace God's presence and his word. I mean, God is giving them a constant symbol of his presence. So don't, don't do your calculations as if God's not there. Embrace his presence and his word. It was, what was his word? I'm giving you this land, he said in Numbers 13 too. I'm giving. Not go check out the land to see if I'm going to give it to you. I'm giving you this land. He had changed the name of Joshua, it was Hoshea, which just means salvation, it was changed to Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. There was a person right there that was an indication of God's promise to them to give them the land. And even as the spies were going to check out the promised land, they, they came upon the land of Hebron, which is where Abraham and Isaac were buried. And you think that could be a reminder, like, oh yeah, Abraham, Isaac, remember Abraham and Isaac? God said to Abraham, look, Look to the north, south, east, and west. I'm giving you this land. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And, and here they are. There's about two million of them in the wilderness, it seems. Okay, God definitely seems to be fulfilling that part of his promise to Abraham. And oh yeah, Isaac, 
these, this two million of us came from Isaac and, and they were like 100 years old when they had him? Okay, I think God can fulfill his promises. Remember his word, remember his mighty acts, and then look to the final destination. It's not always going to be like it is in the wilderness. He's bringing us to a land that's good, a land flowing with milk and honey, a, milk, a, a land that will be glorious and he'll give us rest from our enemies. It's not always going to be like this and we need to remember the final destination as we go through the wilderness. So, that's maybe what they could have done. And how does this relate to us? I've kind of been hinting at it, but... But we're like that numbers generation. We're in that land between God setting us free, accomplishing redemption, and God bringing us to its, its final consummation, its final endpoint in that land in between. One commentator, Ian DeGood, says, Numbers is a challenge to live faithfully as pilgrims or sojourners in the wilderness, those living between redemption being accomplished and consummated. And you see this in the New Testament too. Hebrews 3 and 4 picks up this, this idea that we are like this generation. We are, we are like the generation in the wilderness. Hebrews 3 starts to quote from Psalm 95, when Psalm 95, Psalm 95 is about the wilderness generation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the wilderness, as they did in the rebellion. I was angry with them for 40 years. Don't harden your hearts like them. And that's, that's the whole theme of, of Hebrews 3 and 4, that there's a promised land. There's a, there's a land to enter into. Don't fall short. Hebrews 4.1 says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you, any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. In Hebrews 4.11, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sword of disobedience. So Numbers is really relevant to us. That time in the wilderness is really relevant. We're, we're in that place between redemption being accomplished and consummated. And we don't want to fall short. So how do we persevere in faith? How do we increase our faith? Similar to what Israel could have done. Look back on what he's done. And we, we can look back over what he's done in Scripture. We can look, I mean, the Red Sea, that should increase our faith as well. You know, Jesus on the cross, the resurrection, the stories of Elijah, you know, all these things. It's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So look back on what he's done. And of course, look back on what he's done in your own life. Because we probably all have testimonies. And, and I know for myself, I have testimonies of things God's done. And then like a year later, I'm like worrying about something that he, he totally came through for me in that before. He's come through for me with finances. And then I'll look at, I'll look at my finances as if, as if God's not involved. And be like, oh, I don't know how, how it's going to work out. Like, just remember Remember what he did that time? Look back on what he's done in your life. Similar, similarly, embrace his presence and word. Jesus said, before he left, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And even here in Hebrews 3 and 4, where it picks up this theme of us going into that land of rest, right after Hebrews 4.11, which I just read, the next verse is Hebrews 4.12, the, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, it divides between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, 
So let his word, let his word search us and examine us, reveal where we're at. And then following that, we have the great promises of Jesus as our high priest. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way has been tempted as we have yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near to the throne of grace to, to receive grace and help in time of need because we have such a high priest. So embrace his presence and his word to get us through this time so, to help us fight unbelief. Go to the great high priest. Look at his word. What does he say about whether or not we're going to make it to that final destination? Does he say, does he say that those he's redeemed at the cross will make it to eternal glory? Yeah, he does. Spend time in his word. All those whom he justified, he glorified. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Look back on what he's done. Embrace his presence and word. Look to the destination for us also. Spend time. Yeah, th this season of life can be really hard. This wilderness can be tough. It's not always going to be this way. God is fitting us for a better place. Don't lose sight of where we're going. Don't lose sight of the age to come. Don't lose sight of the glory he has promised for those who endure. Don't think that this is all there is, so my whole purpose is to make this part of my life the best it can be. This isn't all there is. Also, we need each other. We need each other. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, write it in the context of what we're talking about. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need each other so that when we start looking at things as if God's not part of the picture, someone can come alongside of us. You're forgetting something there. And the way you're looking at that, you're forgetting something. God's present. God has promises for you. We need each other. So as we close here, the worship team can come up. We need each other. Look to the destination. Embrace his presence and word. Look back on what he's done. And Moses, Moses interceded for God's people because he desired the fame of God's name. And we, we have a greater Moses. That's also the message of Hebrews. There's, a greater, there's one greater than Moses who's come. There's one who intercedes for us. And I love that, that Moses interceded for others for the fame of God's name. I, I, I pray that even in this month we become people who are more encouraged to intercede for those around us so that God's judgment doesn't fall on them. Because God spared Israel through Moses' intercession. And there's one greater than Moses that says in Hebrews 7, Jesus the high priest, he's able to save to the uttermost all those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for them. There's a great high priest who always lives to make intercession and he has gone through all the struggles of this wilderness that we're facing, whether it's death, persecution, suffering. He's gone through it all. And the encouragement is, he died, and behold, he's alive forevermore. Anything that we can go through in this age, he's gone through it, and he, has become, he was victorious. He has overcome the world, and he intercedes for us. So may the trials and the, 
And the struggles of this wilderness become bread for us. Like Caleb said about the enemies, may they become bread for us to strengthen us in this journey, to make us like Christ as we, as we head for the age to come. I'm going to close in prayer, and then if anyone, anyone wants prayer, there will be people along the sides here. You can come up and, and receive prayer. So Lord, we, we ask, Father, that you would make us people faithful in the wilderness. We ask, God, that you would remind us of your promises. We ask, God, that you'd remind us of your presence. Lord, help us not to dishonor you by looking at things as if you're not involved. But help us to be a people who are desiring for your fame as we walk in faith through the wilderness. Make us a people of faith. Strengthen us so that we make it from here to our final destination. Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing this last song.